All right. Good morning, guys. Um, Sunday morning, and um, I thought I would uh, take a few moments to share some things that I have been studying. Um, what I have been studying lately is fundamentals, or what I'm going to call fundamentals of Bible interpretation. Fundamentals of Bible interpretation. And what I find is at least seven of fundamentals that you need to use when you're trying to interpret the Bible. So I'm going to take a few moments this morning and go over some of them with you. And again, these are kind of fresh notes for me, so um, I may get a little scattered here and there, but um, just... Um, I'll post them when I'm done, but I'm going to call the seven fundamentals of Bible interpretation. Good morning, Brad. How you doing today, buddy? Um, first fundamental of Bible interpretation. This is, means when you go to, and understand there's a difference between interpretation and application. The Bible only has one interpretation. It means what it means. Okay. Application, there can be many applications, but there's only one interpretation. So a true student of the Bible is going to go for the proper interpretation. And from there, again, you can make application. Now, I see a lot of pastors today. They spend a lot of time on application and very little time on interpretation. Uh, I think that's incorrect. It's not rightly dividing the Word of God. And I think it can be misleading because if you do not interpret the Scripture, then you can tell the hearers anything you want. So there has to be proper interpretation. The Bible says no portion of Scripture is subject to private interpretation. Um, that comes from 2 Peter 1, verse number 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. In other words, someone can't say, well, that may mean that to you, but it means this to me. Uh, it really doesn't matter what it means to either one of you. You can both be, both be wrong, but you can't be, both be right. It means what it means. It's not subject to private interpretation. So... Um, so the first fundamental of biblical interpretation, number one, the Bible must be rightly divided so that it makes sense and it does not contradict. A lot of times we hear things that sound contradictory because we are not rightly dividing the word of God. You listen to people talk about how you got to be baptized to be saved. You have to speak in tongues. You have to do, you have to repent. You have to go do this. Um, again, they're not rightly dividing it. And therefore, it doesn't make sense. And you actually see seeming contradictions in the scripture. So, in order to rightly divide the Bible so that it does make sense and it does not contradict, um, we must ensure that we determine who is speaking in the context 
and to whom are they speaking? Okay, there are only three groups that are being addressed in the Bible at all times. It's either addressed to the Jew, it's being addressed to the Gentile, or it's being addressed to the church. Okay, those are the only three groups that are being addressed in the Bible, Jew, Gentile, and church. We must know who is speaking and to whom are they speaking to in order to arrive at a proper interpretation. So, number one, rule of Bible interpretation. It must be rightly divided so that it makes sense and it does not contradict. Number two, we must realize the distinctiveness of Paul's epistles for this dispensation. We must realize that there is a difference in the writings of Paul and the writings of the other apostles. Again, if you do not do that, <laughs> it will not make sense and it will start to contradict. Now, I use the word dispensation there and that throws a lot of people off because today there are basically two views of Bible interpretation. There's what they call the covenant view. Uh, these tend to be the reformed, the Calvinist types. And there's what's called the dispensational view. I believe that for the Bible to be rightly divided, it must be viewed from a dispensational standpoint. If not, it's not going to make sense and it's going to contradict. Um, what is a dispensation? I wrote some quick notes here in regards to a dispensation. A dispens dispensationalism is the recognition that at several times throughout history, God did something that fundamentally changed the rules. That doesn't mean that God changed. God does not change. But God's method of dealing with man has changed several times throughout history. For example, you and I do not live in the Garden of Eden in which everything is provided for us. God dealt with Adam and Eve in a far different way than he deals with us. You and I, we speak different languages and we have different ethnicities. Prior to the Tower of Babel, that was not the case. After Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is the focus of the narrative within the Bible. Uh, it's dealing with Abraham, who was a Gentile, who was called out. God dealt differently with him than he did uh, people prior to Genesis chapter 12. Because, and then also God, beginning in Exodus number 20, dealt differently with the people than he did prior to Exodus chapter number 20. What happened in Exodus chapter number 20? We have the law. Over 613 laws were given in order for the people, the descendants of Abraham, who were now called Jews, could have a right relationship with God. Again, 
God did something that fundamentally changed the rules or his relationship with man. The Apostle Paul declares that these laws, these same laws that was given in Exodus 20 and onward, are no longer binding on the church. That circumcision that was given in Exodus, that the Sabbath laws given in Exodus, the unclean food laws that was given in Exodus and other regulations of the law are now a thing of the past. Okay, um, So dispensationalism is a recognition that at several times throughout history, God did something that fundamentally changed the rules. Now, the word in the Greek for dispensation is okonomia. It's where we get the word economy. There are many economies in our modern world. Some economies run on the euro. Some economies run on the yen. Others run on the dollar. They're economies. The Greek word literally means house law or house rules. The house law for debts in the United States is the dollar. But if you go to another economy, uh, the house law is different. If you want to deal in this economy, you have to exchange your dollar, your yen or your euro to our dollar. Why? Because our house laws are different. In the same way, you cannot spend the currency of one biblical economy or one biblical dispensation in a different biblical dispensation. I hope that makes sense. So, number two, we must realize the distinctiveness of Paul's epistles for this dispensation. We're not living in the garden. We're not living in the time before the law. We're not living in the day of Abraham. <laughs> okay, We are living in a different dispensation. We are living in the dispensation of grace. Okay, Therefore, we need to realize the distinctiveness of Paul's epistles. Paul, listen to me carefully, Paul was the only apostle that was sent to the Gentiles. The only apostle sent to the Gentiles. Peter and the other apostles were not sent to the Gentiles. The twelve wrote, and I say twelve, that includes Matthias, the twelve dealt with Israel. Now, not all twelve wrote, but of the apostles who did write, letters in our New Testament, they were speaking to the house of Israel. Paul, on the other hand, spoke to Gentiles. You and I are Gentiles. Okay, let me show you some, uh, some scriptures that might help in this regard. Acts 9 and verse number 15 says, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a, this is the calling of Paul, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles. And I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Romans eleven thirteen. Let's look over there. Um, Romans 11, <clears throat> verse number 13. For I speak to you Gentiles, this is Paul speaking, for as much as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. That's Paul speaking. 
and it's replete. Go to Galatians chapter number 2. Uh, in Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 2. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. So Paul was preaching a gospel to the Gentiles. Galatians 2 and verse number 8 says, For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the Jew, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. So, rule number two of uh, fundamentals of Bible interpretation. We must realize that the distinctiveness of Paul's epistles, or realize the distinctiveness of, of Paul's epistles for this dispensation. Rule number three. The gospel that you and I preach today is the gospel of the grace of God. It is not the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom was preached by John the Baptist. It was preached by our Lord himself. And it was preached by the apostles. The, the gospel was basically repent and be baptized for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You and I preach the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace or what is called the gospel of the reconciliation. Okay. Understand, the gospel of grace is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't preach that gospel. John the Baptist didn't preach that gospel. And none of the apostles preached that gospel, or none of, the, none of the 12 apostles preached that gospel. There's a difference. And when you start taking things from the gospel of the kingdom and start trying to apply them, the, case in point, you start saying you have to be baptized to be saved. Where are you getting that? You're getting that from the gospel of the kingdom. When you start saying, oh, you got to endure to the end or you're going to lose your salvation. Where are you getting that? You're getting that from the gospel of the kingdom. So, third rule of Bible interpretation. We need to realize that there's a difference between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of the grace of God that the Apostle Paul taught. Number four, when it comes to Bible interpretation, there are at least two modes of baptism in the Bible. There's two. The baptism that happened in regards to John the Baptist was very different from the baptism that we in the body of Christ have. The baptism of John was baptism unto repentance in obedience to the gospel of the kingdom for their salvation. And it involved water. <laughs> the baptism of the church is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Two different deals. Not related. You know, they symbolize basically the same thing. One was baptism unto the, the message or an acceptance of the gospel of the kingdom. 
And then the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an acknowledgement of the gospel of grace. For example, I'll show you in Romans chapter number 6. Uh, Romans chapter number 6. I don't know where. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried by him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father even so we shall also walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we serve not sin. For if he is dead, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more death hath no more dominion over over him for in that he died he died unto sin once but in that he liveth he liveth unto God also reckon likewise yourselves dead indeed to sin but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord let not sin reign in your mortal body that ye may obey it in the lust thereof neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness uh, or as instruments of or instead instruments as, uh, of righteousness unto God for sin shall have no dominion over you for ye are not under the law what then shall we sin no God forbid let me see where there's where there's a verse there being made free from sin all right so the baptism for the church is the baptism of the Holy Spirit now, is there a problem with people getting water baptized in the church? No, there's not. They can certainly do that. But if they don't do that, it doesn't make them not saved. Now, in the gospel of the kingdom, yes, they had to be baptized to fulfill the law. They had to repent and be baptized for the remission of their sins. You and I do not have to repent and be baptized for the remission of our sins. That's where we come up with the doctrine of baptismal regeneration, which is taught by so many in the church today. So there's a difference between the baptism unto repentance by, the, by, the, by John the Baptist and the one that the apostles administered and the baptism of the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, as mentioned throughout the book of Romans. Um, one is a physical water baptism. The other is a spirit baptism. We have to understand that. If we don't, we're going to go around preaching under the gospel of grace that you have to be baptized to be saved. So, number four. Number five. And I'll probably stop here. There's a lot here and I didn't mean to go too far. Uh, number five. Jesus came to the nation of Israel. Listen to me closely here. Okay. Jesus came to the nation of Israel, not to the church. I put a question up on the discussion board a couple days ago. I hear a lot of Christians run around saying, I am a red letter Christian. Is that even possible? Because 
the letters in red, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are some red letters in Acts, there are some red letters in the book of Revelation, but the red letters are addressed overwhelmingly to the nation of Israel, not to the church. The red letters in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts are addressed to the nation of Israel. Many will contend that even the red letters in the book of Revelation are addressed to the nation of Israel. So if you say you're a red letter Christian, there are no red letters in any of Paul's epistles. So can you be a red letter Christian? Uh, as far as I'm concerned, no. You can't be a red letter Christian. Um, why? Because Jesus came to the nation of Israel. The words Jesus spoke were to the nation of Israel, not to the New Testament church. Now, I know some folks, they'll hear that and they'll just go all off their rocker. But I'm telling you, just slow down and think about it. Jesus, John the Baptist, the apostles, preached, taught, lived under a different economy, a different dispensation than you and I live in today. They were literally Old Testament. Okay? Old Testament. The New Testament did not begin until the death of the testator. Let me see if I can find that. Hebrews 9, 6. Or 9.16. For where a testament is, there must of necessity be the death of the testator. Who was the testator? Jesus. So in order for there to be a new testament, the testator, Jesus, had to die. So everything prior to <laughs> the death of the testator was not New Testament. In Hebrews 9.17, For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Okay? John the Baptist, the apostles, Jesus, Old Testament. Until the death of the testator. Um, so, uh, Jesus came to the nation of Israel, not to the New Testament church. The church was revealed by the Apostle Paul. Now let that sink in. The church was revealed by the Apostle Paul. Let's look at some proof text for that. In Romans chapter 16 and verse number 25... Paul said, Now to him that is a power to establish you, listen to this, according to my gospel. Not the gospel of the kingdom. My gospel. Not the gospel of the other apostles. My gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery of which was kept secret from, since the world began, but now has been made manifest 
and by the scriptures of the prophets, and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. So the Apostle Paul, he was the one that gave the mystery. And the mystery was the gospel of reconciliation to church. Ephesians chapter 3. <clears throat> Let's look at something else. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 3. For this cause, verse number one, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard, listen to this word, of the dispensation of the economy of the grace of God, which is given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ, how by the gospel whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me who am, who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that's why we call it the gospel of grace, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hidden God who created all things by Jesus Christ. Romans 16, Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians 3, 9. Look in Ephesians 5, 32. In Ephesians 5, 32, he goes on and says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Why was it a mystery? Because it had not previously been revealed. Then also in 619, in the book of Ephesians, he speaks to this. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 19, As for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom was no mystery. Everybody knew the gospel of the kingdom. Repent and be baptized for the mission of your sins. What Paul is preaching is new. Why? Because it was a mystery that was hidden and was revealed unto him and only him. I'm convinced that when Paul went back to the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter number 15, that's when he came back and said, hey, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And he took Peter and the other apostles, the most eminent of the apostles, aside and said, God's doing something different. And of course, the agreement was, well, great. You go to the Gentiles. We will minister to the house of Israel. Okay, 
So Jesus came to the nation of Israel, not the New Testament church. The church was revealed in by Paul in his epistles. Now listen to this. Now that does not mean that there was no church prior to Paul. Actually, the Bible mentions four churches. Now I get you thinking caps on, okay? So every time you see the word church, you cannot assume that it is our church. For example, Acts chapter 7, verse number 38. Acts 7, verse number 38 says... Let's see, Acts 738, uh, boom, boom, boom. This is he, this is he. Let me get some context here. Um, uh, 738, then said the Lord to him, put off thy shoes, Acts 733. Then said the Lord to him, put off thy shoes from thy feet, from the place where thou standest is holy ground. I have seen, I have been a been seen the affliction of my people which is in Egypt I have heard their groaning and I am come down to deliver them and now come and I will send thee into Egypt he's clearly speaking about the nation of Israel this Moses whom they refused saying who made you a ruler and a judge over us this this same did God send to be a ruler and deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the burning bush he brought them out after that he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. <clears throat> this is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him you will hear. <clears throat> this is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to them in Mount Sinai. Did you hear that? There was a church in the Old Testament. There was a church in the wilderness. Now, the word church literally means just ecclesia. That's the word for it. And it just literally means a called out or called out ones. The nation of Israel were called out among the other nations, Abraham, a Gentile, was called out, sanctified by God, and made a peculiar people. That became the church in the wilderness in Acts 7.38. So again, two, there's four churches mentioned in the Bible. The first is the church in the wilderness. The second is the kingdom church in the Gospels that was in operation all the way through the Gospels and up into the book of Acts. They lived in a commune. They selected men to help in the food distribution. They were the ones that embraced the gospel of the kingdom. These men that were selected in Acts chapter number 7 were for the was it Acts 7? Yeah, I think it was, it was Acts 7. Were for to, to take care of the kingdom church. There was no grace church or church that you and I live in today at the time these guys were selected. These were not deacons as that the qualifications for deacons was given by the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Okay. 
The problem is we tend to read our Bibles from the bottom up instead of the top down. We read the commentary before we read the text. Okay. The ministry of the Holy Spirit was different in the kingdom church than it is in the church today. So there's two churches. There's the church in the wilderness. Uh, Peter, this is where people get confused. And I say unto you, upon this rock I'll build my church. What was he talking about? He wasn't talking about the, the church that you and I live in. He was talking about the kingdom church. And again, we get confused because we do not realize that there are four churches mentioned in the scriptures. It wasn't until around the 10th chapter of Acts that the Lord begins to establish the body of Christ or the New Testament church, which was the mystery that was revealed to Paul. Remember, they were first called Christians where? Antioch. Antioch is up north in Syria, not in Jerusalem. They were first called Christians at Antioch. In Acts 13, we have a New Testament church in the truest sense of the term. And not until Acts chapter 13 do we have a New Testament church in its truest form. Antioch of Syria is modern-day Turkey. It was Gentile. Uh, from that church came the churches of Asia Minor. The kingdom church was headquartered in Jerusalem under the leadership of Peter, James, and John. Different churches. So you have the church in the wilderness, you have the kingdom church, and then you have the New Testament church, the body of Christ. And one day there will be a tribulation church that will be basically an extension of the kingdom church. It will be made up of tribulation saints. The God, those who accepted the gospel of the kingdom. Revelation 6 and 7. So anyway, uh, that's um, there's more. Uh, don't have time, but I'll get into it later. But these are the, the, the fundamentals. Of, I gave you one, two, three, four, five. I have two more. Um, these are, are five fundamentals of Bible interpretation. When you read the scripture, you have to understand one of three different people groups are being addressed. The Jews are either being spoken to, the Gentiles are being spoken to, or the church is being spoken to. Therefore, you must rightly divide it. Otherwise, it will not make sense and it will start to contradict. So much of the division within the body of Christ today is because of a, an inability or an, an unwillingness to rightly divide the Word of God. Number two, we must realize the distinctiveness of Paul's epistles. They are for the church. Number three, the gospel that we preach is not the gospel of the kingdom, but the gospel of the grace of God. Number four, there are at least two modes of baptism in the Bible. There is the baptism with water, which is called John's baptism, and there is the baptism 
into the body of Christ, which is for the church. Um, number five, Jesus came to the nation of Israel, not to the church. The church was not revealed until after Jesus' death and resurrection. And there were at least four churches. I can only find four. Church in the wilderness, kingdom church, New Testament church, and one day there will be a tribulation church once the New Testament church is taken out. So, anyway, just some uh, fundamentals of Bible interpretation. I've got two more. I've got a few more things I want to say about it as well, but I'll do that next time. Um, thank you for joining me there. I don't know if that's Brad or Allison. Uh, not sure how many people are up on this Sunday morning or at church, but uh, I hope more people see it. And uh, let me know if I can help you with it. I mean, the only reason I do this is because God told me to, number one. And number two, I really want people to understand the Bible. I don't want, I hate to see people uh, seeing the Bible as not making sense and contradicting. It won't if it's rightly divided. God bless you. Remember always, God loves you, wants the best for you. He's working all things out for your good.